Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, SIPC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLDL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security, and if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability. Good morning and welcome to Ask the Pro here on WLVL 1340 AM, streaming worldwide at WLVL.com. I am pleased to say that I have in studio with me Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. And he is located, of course, at 5860 Snyder Drive right here in the city of Lockport. And if you would like to uh, get your financial health looked at and uh, make sure you're going in the right direction, you need to give him a call at 439-1143. That's 439-1143. Set up a consultation with Mr. Connor, and uh, he's going to help you check out you know, your financial, your investment, make sure your retirement's going in the right direction, and uh, we'll just get, get you going on that. But in, until then... We're going to talk about financial things here on this show, and it is an interactive show. So what that means is you can feel free to call during the program at any time with your questions, comments, thoughts, or concerns at 433-1433. Now, today is October 6th. It's a Friday. So, uh, and that's just for uh, for legal purposes. I've got to say that. <laughs> but uh, we are pleased to uh, say good morning to Mr. Connor. How you feeling, Eric? I'm all right. All right. Catching a little bit of the uh, under the weather bug, I think. So uh, I gave you the warning that I might have to use the cough button next to me. Isn't that a glorious device? It, yeah. And let me say, for the for the first while that I was here at WLVL, that button did not exist. No, it did not. And I would I would uh, occasionally have to like wheel myself away from the microphone really quickly if if I needed to sneeze or cough. And uh, and then this miraculous device got installed, and all I have to do is push it, and it kills my microphone for the as long as I keep a hold of it. Ain't that something? Fantastic, fantastic. I so, like it. Um, but we're good. Yeah, every everything's good. You know, we had the craziest uh, fall weather so far. So. I guess the fact that we finally got a little bit of rain today, we don't even have the chilly temperature today. So. Uh, a great, great start to October weather-wise. I didn't get to enjoy it aside from uh, finally we did get our driveway sealed. So thank you to the company, and uh, uh, we're good. We're good. And I had mentioned to you, we often start the show off with just like kind of a random topic of something, and uh, I I ventured with uh, my wife and youngest child down to the Bills game on Sunday. Had not gone to a game in like 17 years or so. My youngest had never been to the stadium. And uh, as of Saturday, she was the proud owner of a Steph Diggs jersey. So she wears that to the game, and Steph Diggs scores three touchdowns, and we completely demolished the Dolphins. And we uh, we went with my nephew. It's his uh, season tickets. And I said to my daughter, I said, well, clearly, you're the good luck charm. 
and you're going to need to come again. And she goes, yeah, okay, I had a great time. I'm like, yeah, the next game's in London. You're going to need to go to all the games. <laughs> so she was up for that, too. But needless to say, she was over. she's at the high school uh, for her school day today, not traveling to London. Uh, Daddy, Daddy's not going to buy her a ticket to London, huh? Not, not spur of the moment like no. that. I, I have enough faith in them that they can win without their little good luck charm. Well, anytime the Bills have played out of the country, they have lost six out of the seven international games that they have played. Yeah, and they're often duds just for yeah. them. For, yeah, for, just for them. For the way they play. They have often yeah. been kind of duds. Uh, some people might remember when we had uh, a first-round quarterback a few years ago, E.J. Manuel, and I do believe his last start for the Bills was a London game because someone was injured, which probably would be Kyle Orton, but I don't remember that. And uh, EJ pretty much single-handedly fumbled the ball away and lost the game for us. Add up, boy, EJ. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, we had kind of had the game. We weren't a good team, but we had the game in hand, and he, I can remember, he just literally dropped the ball like it wasn't a big pressure situation he just couldn't hold on to it and if you're the quarterback that's not a good sign shouldn't put butter on your fingers before you go play football yeah maybe it was uh fish and chips or something yeah that you know, could be yeah. a little, little deep fryer grease yeah some popcorn something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah this used to being on the sideline maybe it had a snack i don't know <laughs> but that's that's Any our that's our it. beginning digression is yes, that uh, the Connor family made a little trip to the Bills game and it ended up as a uh, offensive fireworks well, what extravaganza. A, what a great game to go to, though! My yeah, goodness. yeah, and the weather was perfect. Actually, hot. I'm sure it was S- sitting there. I mean, yeah. you you were actually hot. Mm-hmm. So, really, really fun day and and nice to come away with a great uh, a great victory over Miami. And I got to say, I was fairly um, nervous given the 70 points that Miami had scored the week before. Not that I thought they'd score 70 against us, but um, they definitely have some offensive firepower. And they sure uh, do. and we did great. Yep. You know those first. It it started off with two touchdowns for each team, fourteen fourteen. But then we really did a great job on them defensively. So good for us. Let's see if we can keep going. And uh, uh, for everyone that overreacts on that Jets loss on opening night for us, take a chill pill. It's one game. Right. You, you got sixteen others. You're not going undefeated. If you lose by three or lose by thirty, it's still only one loss. That's right. So. Just not just the end of the world. Nope, they're playing good ball right now. So correct, correct, yeah. and they're going to get Von Miller back. So that should be fun. Hmm. Maybe he might not play tomorrow uh, or uh, Sunday, but once he's back on the field, we're we're going to look even better on defense. So that's going to be strong. So <clears throat> since we're you're a financial guy, and this is a financial show, not sports. No, but we do a fine job. We you like know. digressions. But. That's right. Well, being the sports director here at WLVL, I don't mind <laughs> talking sports. I know how it fills up your day. Oh, yes. I, yes, I just can't wait. Uh, <laughs> 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 so uh, where do we want to start? Do you want to start with the, the, the 
the employment numbers? Yeah, they we just, might, just released, was it 336,000? Yeah, might as well start with jobs. That's uh, kind of the way um, the first Friday show usually goes is let's talk jobs because it has an immediate impact on talking about what the market is doing on that day and uh, the concern, good or bad, on interest rates. So somehow payrolls come in for September with 336,000 jobs created. Uh, You and I talked before the show briefly I don't know where those jobs would be coming from. I'm you. You can dig into the report and it'll tell you. But you know, you you just sort of wonder where where do they come from in September? Do you think it was a rather optimistic estimate? I might be in that camp, except that July and August had revisions upward, and uh, those had looked just a little light, a little quirky, and. Um, so to have those be revised upward and then have September come in really strongly, uh, and I am seeing the one spot here where it says leisure and hospitality jobs led the growth, followed by government hiring and health care. So, you know, if you dig into that a smidge, uh, leisure and hospitality, like, I mean, is it literally because it's football season, right, and and whatnot? That seems kind of crazy. Is it often hotel business? Could be. Um, I don't really see it as, it's not transportation like airlines, right? but it could be uh, parks, amusement parks. Well, they're not hiring in September. No. They're letting people go in right. September. All the kids are going back to school. So, I don't know. It's it's a confusing report. Uh, it seems like we definitely are getting some signs of mellowing in the economy in a good way, not in a dangerous way of recession yet. Seems like we're starting to see some of that. And, of course, the headline news of the last couple of weeks are about auto strikes and now healthcare strikes out in uh, California with Kaiser right. Permanente. Um, huge number of people on a three-day strike. I want to say that's like 36,000 healthcare workers. So that whole industry is going to come to a screeching halt for three days. Yeah, so a little bit of a challenge. You know, you're not going to be happy if you're in a hospital right now out there. No. That's probably a bad time to have a baby or something. Don't get sick. Um, yeah. So, you know, we know we've got these headlines of a little bit of labor disagreement. And, um, I, again, I think there's a little bit of signs that you can see that we've had just a little softening in jobs, job hiring, wage growth, all of that. And then you have this huge number. And so, I don't know, I guess I'd say it is so large that I would expect it gets revised downward, right? It's it. They do it through payroll data, and then sometimes the way the revisions work out is people are rolling off the payroll, and it's not quite accounted for properly. And so you might have a downward revision, and uh, it would... You'd sort of throw it in the category of, like, kids going back to college, kids going back to high school. And so you'd you'd have some people that got hired, but you'd have the other end was that someone had left that job. So I wouldn't be surprised that we see this number get revised downward. So in the moment, though, that's a big number. Yeah. And what does the market do? Well, it immediately throws them into a tizzy 
because bond yields have been climbing right. over the last few weeks, I'll just say. And so we now have a 10-year government bond, government note, technically, um, that's at like 16-year highs for its yield. It's approaching 5%. That kind of movement is why you also have had the headlines of mortgage rates getting into the high sevens range. Ouch. Because the mortgage lenders are trying to stay ahead of the anticipated move of the 10-year. Um, and so the old rule of thumb is that it stays about 2%. The mortgage 30-year mortgage will be about 2% higher. Well, that hasn't been true for ages during, right. during this whole time period now of, call it, 20 months mm-hmm. it's way it's been way more than two percent above the 10 year right. um and it, again it's it's the mortgage side of the world protecting itself over these anticipated increases so they're trying to not misprice the mortgages it doesn't help anyone who needs one certainly doesn't going for the cough button. yeah i had my finger hangers you caught it first yes we're um Suffering through coughs here. Um, if you have any questions you'd like to talk to Mr. Connor, call 433-1433-1433-1433. We'd love to get you involved in this conversation. How are you making out there, Eric? Hopefully that worked. You used your elbow? Yeah. I use mine all the time. Yep. It worked. Okay. And if it didn't, I... I didn't hear it in my headphones. Well, so I, had I, you, I had you muted over here anyways, just in case. Perfect. All right. Carry on, sir. So what we've had is we continue to see interest rates all along the curve move higher. Is it super dramatic? Mm, Not at the short end because the Fed controls that pretty well. So three months, six months, one year, that's all pretty fine. But what we have seen is we've seen the longer duration bonds have really started moving higher. So um, that puts pressure in different spots mortgages being one of them as we said and when you then transfer that over to how is the stock market behaving yeah the market doesn't like that at all no it dropped what the earnings went down what four well you got so you got the response of the day you got it down a couple hundred points on the dow right and i think we're on track for something like five weeks out of six that have been negative and, uh, you know, you get calls, clients are sort of just saying, like, is it a problem? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's it's one of those not short term, but an intermediate term adjustment of taking in that information, getting negative results on the bond side, and those higher yields translate right now translate to lower stock prices it's not super dramatic right like it's not like we're down 20 percent because bond rates have moved up but the strength that you saw in some areas of the stock market earlier in the year has sort of dissipated uh semiconductors had a fantastic beginning of the year they're down the in de- the semiconductor area right now is down more than ten percent uh, in the last call it six weeks, more than the market itself. Well, and that makes sense because it's the area that had the largest gain. So when you have a pullback, it's going to pull back a little bit further as well. Right. 
So um, it's again an intermediate adjustment, intermediate term adjustment period. We are going to have those longer interest rates move a little higher, right? Like they just sort of have to. The ten-year has wandered in this year between something like three point eight and four point eight percent, and right now it's up in that four point eight range. Right. Well, if you just think of where short-term rates were six months ago, why would the 10-year have still been down at 3.8%, right? Actually, the five-year was higher than the 10-year. Right. We've been inverted, meaning the short end is higher than the longer end. We've been inverted for basically two years. And so people will often get really... Um, nervous about that immediately, thinking it's an immediate warning sign that we're going into a recession. And I can remember being here and saying, like, yeah, look, eventually we're going to have a recession. But just because the yield curve went inverted right now doesn't mean we're going right. into a recession. And here we are two years later, right. and we still haven't gone into a recession. But the statement is still true that, yes, yeah, someday we're going to. And we probably will go into a recession with the yield curve inverted, right? So then people will say, well, see, it causes a recession. Like, yeah, well, there's a lot else that goes into it. And if it took two years, that's not exactly a great predictor. What are the other factors? Yes, there's many other things that went into creating the, Mm -hmm. the situation to make a recession happen. So, look, eventually, will we have a recession? Yes. It They come around, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 40 years ago, they came around because of inventory problems, and they'd happen like every three or four years. Now we don't have an economy full of inventory problems, so we don't have recessions for six, seven, eight years at a time. Right. They're very sporadic, much more spread out. So we'll see. The market will keep digesting. Hmm. I don't think it cleans itself up very well just yet. Okay. And maybe, maybe, maybe we set ourselves up for good news between November and December. A little end of the year rally. Okay. Maybe. That's... Because why not? <laughs> we can always, always use a maybe good news. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if you end up with September being a dud... And let's say October's, I don't know, halfway dot. Well, then you probably set yourself up for some sort of bounce off of that. Right. And then traditionally, we do head higher in November and December. So, you know, maybe that's how it plays itself out right now. Well, I'd like to see that happening. And, uh, you know, the Fed has sort of forecast the idea of they'd like to have one more increase. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it happens. I think they want more data. I don't think they're going to move just off of the September jobs report, though. Right, because they don't, they don't trust it either. Yeah, it's, it's probably just not enough. Um, yeah. It's probably not enough enthusiasm to push them to one more increase just yet. Right. What about the uh, consumer price index? Is that factoring into this at all with the, uh, the cost of goods and services? Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that the Fed's really paying attention to, right, is, is where's that inflation rate come in and what's causing it. So 
they do their adjustments. They fine-tune things like how oil affects it, um, housing, wage growth. Wage growth impacts the consumer price index calculator. So wage growth seems to be moderating a bit. That's one of those signs of sort of saying like maybe a little bit of steam is coming out of the economy. We'll see if the strikes have any uh, any success. Maybe maybe that'll affect the wage growth number uh, in in both the uh, auto industry and the healthcare industry. Right. Well, that's that's going to have a major impact on the prices of automobiles. Clearly, you know if if they get what they want, prices are going to go up. If they don't get what they want, they're not making cars again. Demand is going to go up because supply is down. Prices are going to go up. There is no way that the price of an automobile is not going to go up in the foreseeable future. Correct. Correct. You, there's no, uh, there's no uh, input cost Mr. Connors, that weakens in that fashion. And so even if you look at the price of steel, and there are a couple steel stocks that I follow, and one of the things that gets pretty consistently... Um, uh, broadcast is what kind of pricing they're getting, whether it's more or less. And even if they've had a decline in demand on the steel side, they're not really cutting their prices. They're just selling less of it, but they're not cutting their price to sell less of it. So, yeah, on the price of an automobile, you're not looking at input costs that are cheaper. It, it's more expensive all the way around. Steel, electronics, um, chips. Chi- yeah, chips. I love right. those chips. Chips. You can have um, a new car. You just can't have all the features you want because we don't have enough chips. Yeah, yeah. I think I've said on the show, like, I I am a big fan of a heated steering wheel in this area. You know, if I lived in Texas, I probably wouldn't care. Live in New York, I'd like a heated steering wheel. Well, go and look. Go try to go try to see where those cars have a heated steering wheel. They're not on the base model. Not going to find it. They're not on the intermediate model. They're those chips are. In, it's it's such a stupid thing to talk about, but like those chips are in such short supply, you can only end up on many many cars. You can only end up with a heated steering wheel if you go to the top of the line model, which then probably gives you all kinds of stuff that you don't care about. Right. So you get gizmos and gadgets and... Yeah, like plenty of people don't like leather seats, but the top-of-the-line model almost always has leather seats. Sure. Or a sunroof. Like, I don't care anything about a sunroof. But if you want a heated seat, you're going to get a sunroof and pay an extra $1,300, $1,500. Right, right. So, you know, it's, it's a great it's a great outcome for the auto manufacturer, right? Like, they don't they don't... Their profitability on their base model is not what it is on their top model. So they're happy to sort of have this as an ongoing problem. Mm. It's, it is a, for the manufacturer, for now, but you go down to the dealer level, you know, the dealers are pulling their hair out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They don't oh. have supply. They don't have stock. They don't have the, the models that people want to buy. And so now there's still a used inventory that's shortage because they sold all the used cars. Yep. During COVID, they sold all the rental cars. 
because the rental business went belly up. So they sold all their cars. People got great deals on used cars there. And then people like me are keeping our cars because my car has a heated steering wheel and it still runs good, even though it's five years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've got dealerships here in our area where they have so little inventory. What are they doing? They're they're working on their infrastructure. They're fixing their parking lots and stuff. They couldn't even do that if their if their lot was full of cars. They're, I mean, it's it's such a crazy environment right now. So, yeah, you can sell cars that aren't even on the lot because people are just basically shopping out of a catalog. It's like they're buying a jacket. You know, they'll just say, "Yeah, I'll take that car," almost sight unseen, practically. Right. And, it's there. And, and then they'll wait for it to come in. And, I don't know, you just cross your fingers that the seat's comfortable and that you don't mind how the mirrors look or whatever. So, um, it's a it's a crazy time for some of these companies. And so, the auto companies now have the labor strife. And so, the, the news of the day, I want to say it was Wednesday, was that GM stock price was at a three-year low. Well, fancy that. Right. <laughs> Uh, they, they've had How'd that happen. They've, you know, they've got production troubles, d- no demand problem, but they've got production troubles, and now there's this belief that their costs will go up, and their stock just trends lower and lower and lower. And um, I don't. I think as an investment, I think that business is really, really tough. You know, you can have the ultra aggressiveness of trying to figure out if you want to own Tesla. But I think on the side of Ford and GM, boy, that's tough. Look at their share price. Do a 10-year chart on their share prices. Boy, that's hard to be in there. Um, they cut their dividends on you when they're, when time is tough for them. And um, they, they've got all their factory trouble, their transition to electric vehicle trouble. It's tough. It's tough for them. I, I don't know. I, I generally just tell clients, stay away from it. There's just better areas to look at. You'd rather talk about, um, you know, uh, well, let me make a broader comment. I get a lot of questions on autos. I get a lot of questions on retail stores, right? Someone who has a favorite store to go to. They're both in the same category. It's really tough not only to make money, but to keep growing it because that's ultimately where you get good stock market behaviors when you can keep showing oh, growth over time. Right. And restaurant, retail, and autos are really, really tough for that. So, right, because they're, they're sus- sustainable, but not necessarily. Yeah, they, they, they sort of cannibalize each other, right? They mm-hmm. just sort of grind each other up and spit each other out, right? And think of... Um, like the Walmart, Target, Kohl's side of the world in retail, mm-hmm. you could have owned Kohl's for the last 25 years. You've made no money, no dividend, no money. It's gone up and down, but right. you've, ma- you've made no real money. Right. 25 years. Hmm. Kohl's isn't going out of business, but it's not making you any money in the stock market. Right. So, you know, there's just spots you want to look at. You want to find that area of either really secure income of one kind or another, or you want to find some amount of growth. And the growth can be 
technology. It can be certain kinds of industrials. It can be certain kind of agriculture. Um, but there are areas where it's very, very challenging. Um, you know, consumer staples are things like Procter & Gamble um, or ConAgra or whatever. Um, they're called consumer staples. They're just really kind of boring, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. can you make money selling toilet paper? Sure. Yep. Is it a growth market? Not really. You know, not in, not in any traditional sense. So you just it, it's just figuring out where that focus is for what you want to try to do. And so, again, for the clients that are often asking about the auto business, I just I don't like it from a, an investing standpoint. It's just hard. One of the, when's GM going to double their earnings the next time? It's going to take them a long time. It is because they got to recuperate from all of this. Right. When's the next time Apple doubles their earnings or Microsoft or Nvidia? Yeah. Not going to take them as long as GM. Right. But Apple, that Apple fifteen, that was a flop. They're they're giving those things away now. If you well, it's, I'm seeing on television. You want a free Apple 15? Just sign up with uh, this guy's carrier service. So that's a it, it's an interesting comment though. Yeah. That doesn't hurt Apple. What that is, that's a sign of how crummy the telecom industry is. So if you looked at charts of AT and T and Verizon, and what's the other one? Um, Spectrum talk. No, uh, the uh, the pink one there. Something. um, Spectrum. It was the merger with Sprint and Nextel and uh, the German company. Oh boy. Well, whatever. They're publicly traded too. They got the fancy glossy commercial that comes out. They're all beating the tar out of each other, and so. They are buying those phones from Apple, so Apple's getting paid, and then they are the ones giving them away for new subscribers. It's always to new subscribers, so they're trying to steal business from their competition. Did we mention T-Mobile? That's who it was, T-Mobile. Yeah. So T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T. If you look at those share prices, absolutely brutal like down 50 percent in the last three or four years just brutal behavior and yes now you have you mentioned spectrum my house is currently a split house we have some a couple of us are still on verizon right because we have a certain um bundle that gives us some streaming services right a couple of us in the household we now use Spectrum. It's half the price. Mine was less than half. It uses the, the same Verizon towers. Yep. So I'm on Spectrum. My one daughter's on Spectrum. We don't have any problems. We don't have any dead spots. Nope. We're paying half the price yep. that the other members of the family are paying on the Verizon side. Yep. Yep. And if you're Verizon and if you're AT&T... Where's your money coming from? You're going to just keep losing those subscribers eventually. Right. You may love, you may, you know, like, you may sit there and say, I love Verizon in terms of the coverage. 
Well, when you hear enough people tell you, oh, if you spe- switch the spectrum, you don't have any dropped coverage. It's no different. Right. And you'll save all kinds of money, including the way some of the taxes are computed. Yeah, it's 50 bucks, tax included. Straight. Right. That's it? No. 50 bucks. No funny business, no nope. anything. Eventually, you're going to leave and go over to Spectrum or one of the competitors. doesn't have to be them. I don't want to just give them free airtime. But eventually, those old legacy carriers will have to do one of two things. They're either going to cut their prices to compete or they're going to try to buy them, which, of course, is not really an effective strategy because, first of all, how would you get it approved for antitrust reasons? But you'd be paying... 20 times earnings, you don't come out ahead that way. No. And any if you buy them, anyone who's a subscriber, well, they're not, they're not going to ma- magically l- let Verizon up the bill because they'll just leave to somebody else. Right. So it's it's it's, it's an interesting thing, and uh, and that's why you are the financial advisor ladies and gentlemen we have about 15 minutes left give us a call at 433-1433 what say you the people the listeners tell us what your thoughts are and uh, also remember that Connor Wealth Management is located at 5860 Snyder Drive in Lockport and if you would like a consultation at his office the phone number would be 439 439- one one four three four three nine one one four three, but until then, you can call the radio station and uh, talk to us at four three three one four three three. So I, I, I'd like to segue, if we could, Eric, into the uh, the international things that are going on. You know, winter is coming. Sure is. There's a big fuel shortage in Germany. There's all kinds of things going on with the wheat harvest that they can't, you know, they can't get it exported out. Some people companies can't get them exported in. China is hoarding. Of uh, a lot of uh, wheat, because um, they're I think they're anticipating something because they've got a lot, a lot, a lot of wheat. They've got like fifty percent of the world's wheat, I think, right now. Because they don't grow it, right? Where do they grow rice? Yeah, they're getting it from uh, Russia predominantly. Right. And uh, I don't know about uh, what the price of a barrel of oil is going to be doing here shortly. Do we have a projections on that? Yeah. So let's let's start with um, the agriculture side. So. I think when you factor in two really obvious problems, you'll see that the price of most agricultural products are only going to be headed higher. First is Ukraine. They have a problem getting their export out. They were doing it by boat. That was with an agreement with Russia. Russia has ended that agreement. So now Ukraine is trying to ship it out on rail to their neighboring countries. They've ended up in a dispute about that. And so ultimately, they're not going to be able to get rid of all of the food that they've grown, which was the initial problem two years ago of saying they produce a ton of product for export. They were a country of 40 million people growing enough food for like 160 million people or something like that. I might be misremembering it, but it was their wheat and sunflower oil, a uh, sunflower production and one more. I don't th- 
think it was soybean, I think maybe it was something like barley or something, um, was way bigger than their population, and that export went to the Middle East and to Africa. Well, that's impacted, and that's been an elevated amount of price. Now, in the beginning, they actually did produce more and export more than we sort of thought they'd be able to. But as time's gone on and as Russia has eliminated the Black Sea grain deal and created these other problems, now you have a situation where, yeah, they're not able to get rid of the product that they've grown. What are you going to have happen? Well, you're going to have higher prices. It impacts us even here, even though we produce plenty of our food, because some of that stuff gets priced on a global basis. And I will, I guess, jokingly say, American farmers are no dummies. They're not going to sell us stuff cheaper just because they're nice and warm and fuzzy. They're going to sell us for they're going to sell it to us for whatever the going rate is. And if China and other countries are willing to pay a lot for wheat and corn and soybeans, then the Americans on the farmer side will get a better price and the Americans on the consumer side are going to pay more. So I think the inflation side of the agriculture business is a real thing that does not have much of a solution because you layer on top of that the weather problems worldwide, right? You can talk El Nino. El Nino dramatically affects Australian production of the products they grow, which does include wheat. El Nino affects American and Canadian production because of the mismatch of precipitation that happens. So I've said for a couple of years, well, that the Fed will fight inflation. I think there's an ongoing problem on the food side of the world. And I don't see how you kind of get out from under it if the weather catastrophes keep happening. So that's that side. If you talk oil... Holy cow. Uh. You have OPEC fairly in agreement right now to restrain supply. Yes. What I mean by that is that they have often cheated amongst themselves. They would lie and overproduce. So let's just say Saudi Arabia as an example. They might say, we're going to produce 9 million. As, a, as an agreement within OPEC, they might say, we're going to produce 9 million barrels a day. Well, then they'd really pump 10.5 million barrels a day. And so, you know, that money's going in their pocket. And if they could sort of pinky swear that they were sticking by their promise, you know, a little wink, wink, and a nudge, nudge, and that was fine. But they've actually, as a whole, been much better. And so they're restraining supply to the world market by a couple million barrels a day. And so you've had the price nudging higher, um, let's say, over the last two months. I, I might have lost track of it, but let's say over the last yeah. couple months. You've gone from <clears throat> lower 70s. Now back to about 90, mm -hmm. roughly speaking. Yep. 
So what's the math on that? Call it 25% increase in a couple-month period? Sure. Yep. We're probably in the area that it'll stay for, I don't know, three or four months minimum. They probably won't fiddle with it. They're happy to have these higher prices. You don't have a you don't have a change of season, right? Like the the changeover from summer driving to winter driving has already happened. Right. They'll probably keep at this restrained level for several months, and then you get into the winter demand, which doesn't affect oil, but it affects natural gas. Natural gas can be somewhat dependent on oil production because if you think of oil gushers. The gusher is actually from the natural gas that's in the oil. Right. Not the only way you get natural gas, but there is some cause and effect there. I think overall, there's no real shortage of natural gas. Your point to Germany is sort of the exception Mm -hmm. in terms of they have to import it. They have to pay for it from someone else, and they have to import it. They used to do it from Russia. Now they're doing... Mm -hmm. imports basically from the u.s the pricing for europe is going to remain a problem because they are not domestic producers of it but as u.s people uh uh, from a u.s perspective natural gas pricing is fair right now there was just a headline in a paper in um the buffalo news a couple days ago that Heating the estimated heating cost for winter time is going to be the lowest in the in three years. So I don't think we have a pricing problem in, in regards to natural gas. Mm-hmm. I think Europe does. It's a it's a um, a different picture for them because they don't produce it. Right, and of course there's social disrest in France. France is a hot mess right now. Yeah, you know, they're 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 on fire. They they um, they have an interesting situation where you know you've got educated youth looking for opportunities. You have economic issues on a union perspective, and then they are fighting various types of anti-immigrant. Um, news rules regulations because uh, they've had a, such an influx of people from northern Africa so people from Morocco often end up in France um, I won't remember the history maybe for France used to dominate Morocco maybe for, for some history major out there they're cringing at the fact that I'm saying it like that but right. So Moroccans often end up in France, but then they are often not um, assimilating naturally into the country, meaning they're often on social services, not speaking the language, not able to work, and needing health care and housing. So it's sort of a similar problem to what you hear with people coming over the southern border for the one for the people that really, really dislike the um, immigration issue, I'm not commenting on legal versus illegal, 
But a lot of gripes that people have are that they're coming here without having the language to speak and they're not being productive members of society. France has that same issue, just with a different clientele, so to speak. Right. So that's fairly common for them um, over the last 20, 25 years that they sort of cycle in and out of some un- some so- social unrest, you might call it. It's partially related to economics. It's partially political. But it's more of society, ultimately, than anything else. They're very emotional people, I think, as a, as a culture. They're, they're emotional. I know they're very rude. I've been there. And they surrender. Yeah, you can buy World War II guns from France that have never been fired. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> They planted a whole big long row of trees, so the next time the Germans invade, it'll be in, sh- in the shade. I mean, how many different... I can add a million, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. How, how to win friends and influence people, right? There. Yeah, that's right. I just won the, won the wow. race for, for France. <laughs> wow. I was looking up uh, when we were talking. Um, Morocco and France, it, it's, it's an economic alliance where France is the biggest okay. financial... Um, Morocco is the recipient of French investment. It's the biggest, main. So, so it's a financial thing. Yeah, and it and it did say that France um, did occupy Morocco from 1912 to 1956. So it was an occupation. Yeah, I think that was the whole uh, like the for those of us that just remember like the French Foreign Legion, right? I think that was Morocco and Algeria, um, mm-hmm. probably. They, maybe they were the ones into Libya as well. I don't know. But yeah, that doesn't really matter. Anyway, yeah, uh, so the energy side, I, I think we're elevated right now. Uh, we don't have, we're at record production in this country, so it's not a domestic problem. And uh, again, there's no shortage of natural gas. So I don't know. I think, I think relatively we're okay. Uh, I think. You probably won't really see gasoline higher than it is right now. Well, it's up to four ninety six at the grocery store. I'm three ninety six. I'm sorry. I was just going to say three ninety six. I'm yeah. not sure what grocery three, store. Three ninety six. Yeah. <laughs> but so there's no shortage of uh, four dollar gas. Right. Yeah, and you know we still have just those little glitches in the system of like. Yeah. There's no refineries being built or anything like that. So. Right. We're going to have that ebb and flow, and I think that's just mm-hmm. what we're seeing. Right. It's not the end of the world any way you look at it, right? Final thoughts? Uh, I'll be back in a couple weeks. Let's hope we've got a couple Bills victories in the time, and uh, I think we'll still be looking at interest rates and uh, the same sort of behaviors probably here in two weeks as is right now. So we'll see you then. All right. Thank you, Eric. You've been listening to Eric Conner from Conner Wealth Management. Here on WLVL, 1340 AM, streaming worldwide at WLVL.com. If you've ever missed any of these great programs with Eric, just go to WLVL.com, hit the podcast button, pick your show, and you can listen to it from years on back. It's a great thing to do. Stick around for Fox News, and we'll be talking to you soon.